The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Last week we started uh, a new teaching series based out of Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. And that's where I'm going to be this morning. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And we are turning our attention to the greatest sermon ever preached. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus would preach several sermons, and so I think it might be, we might be hard-pressed to say that any one of Jesus' sermons would be greater than another of Jesus' sermons. Scripture records that uh, the, the crowds gathered around him on many occasions. Uh, one occasion they came and uh, they, were, they were there all day. He preached all day. It's a, it's, a, it's a preacher's dream that you would just come and want to stay all day and hear him preach. And uh, no, nobody brought any food. And so on that occasion he said to the disciples, these people have been here all day. We've got to feed them. And nobody had anything. Uh, there was uh, one boy who he was a methodist boy he was the only one that was smart enough uh to bring anything he had loaves and fishes and they fed all those uh baptists with the methodist lunch that day um another occasion the crowd pressed in on jesus so closely that he got in a boat and pushed back a little bit from the shore and everybody stood on the shore but this one is called the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's when you read the New Testament, it's the first of the sermons that you come to. It's the most comprehensive of the sermons that are recorded in Scripture. And we discovered last week that Jesus, the master communicator, starts the sermon in a place where every single soul on the planet yearns for and he begins the sermon by saying so you want to be happy and last week we talked about that we talked about the fact that our souls imprinted with the image of God we have in us this innate desire for happiness and uh, we even looked at a a quick video of people from the ages of 5 to 75 and in some way shape or form when each were asked what they wanted out of life their goal in life they they just said i i, I want to be happy and and so this is true of you as well it's true of each of us it's the way that god designed us but we discover that the world's pursuit of happiness never achieves its goal When the world pursues happiness, they pursue money, they pursue power, they pursue reputation, they pursue politics, they pursue uh, toys or wealth or fame, but none of those things ever turn into happiness. And even uh, our our more uh, humble or modest goals in life to produce our own happiness don't really do that. And so Jesus catches everyone's attention in this introduction to his sermon. And he's speaking of happiness, but in the, in the Jewish mindset, which by the way is the correct mindset, the ancient Jewish mindset, the correct mindset is that it, it would be impossible to achieve happiness outside of achieving the blessing of God. The, the idea that uh, which, by the way, is a completely modern, secular idea. The idea that 
I can and, and maybe even more likely will achieve happiness outside of a relationship with God is a new concept in the world. Even the, even the pagans who worshiped false gods believed that you needed the blessing of those gods to achieve happiness. So what we find in this sermon then is not just happy are the poor in spirit, happy are those who mourn, but blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. The, the blessing of God, the favor of God are prerequisites to the happiness of the soul. And once again, just uh, I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but for those of you who weren't with us last week, because it is the introduction, because it's an important part of where we're going this morning, let's just very quickly look at these ways to happiness, the ways to blessing. And the first four are related to our relationship with God. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's talking about the fact that happiness, blessing is found when I no longer look for it within myself. Sometimes we spend a lot of time on our journey to God looking for happiness within ourselves. I can't tell you over the years how many people have been trying to discover themselves. I've said on a number of occasions to those trying to discover themselves, what if you find out that you're an onion? And they said, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, when you, when you start peeling back the layers of an onion, when you get to the center, there's, there's, there isn't anything. The, the fact that you can have happiness in and of yourself without God doesn't make any sense. And so the poor in spirit are those who recognize, I don't have anything. My, my spirit is impoverished without God. And then, and then it says, blessed are those who mourn. This is the Old Testament word for repentance. When we recognize that our sin has separated us from God and we mourn our sin. The interesting thing about becoming a believer in Christ Jesus is we don't stop sinning. If, if that happened, in my mind, that would be a better world. I would just, I, we give our lives to Christ and we never sin again. Wouldn't that be great? But the Apostle Paul says what happens to us is we have the Holy Spirit of God. We actually become more attuned to sin and we discover something about it. We discover that the things that we used to want to do, we don't want to do anymore. And the things that we never wanted to do, that's what we want to do. And what God really changes is our wanter. And so we still sin, but we don't want to sin. And the sin causes us to mourn. It causes us to repent. It, we recognize that it creates separation between us and our God. And then blessed are the meek. And this is the word for surrender. The meek are those who surrender their rights. And we come to the cross of Jesus Christ. We recognize the shed blood of the Lamb of God. And we surrender our lives to Him. In that moment, He becomes Master. He becomes Lord. He becomes King. And I am no longer the ruler of my own life. And then this, this relationship with God, as Jesus would outline it here, as it relates to our happiness, ends with, happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. When we, when we take our eyes off of the things of the world, when we recognize that earthly things do not satisfy us, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And these are the keys to true happiness. And they stand in juxtaposition to a world that offers us happiness in quite a different avenue, in a completely different way. And Jesus says of that way, later in this same sermon, that way is broad, the path is wide, and it leads to destruction. 
There are four more attitudes that we are to have. That's why, that's why this passage is called the B attitudes. And these relate to our uh, relationship that we have with one another. And yet there's something about happiness here as well. The first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And Jesus would say the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's impossible to love God and not love your neighbor. It's an impossibility because of the love that God shed abroad in our hearts through Christ Jesus. And so what's the key to happiness in our relationships? Well, in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, those who are quick to forgive. Those who hold unforgiveness eventually grow to bitterness, and bitterness is the opposite of happiness. And then, blessed are the pure in heart. This has to do with our sincerity, our authenticity. The key to relationships isn't how well you can manipulate and control people, but how authentic you are, and people always recognize that. And then, blessed are the peacemakers. We find here... Which person are you? Are you the person who starts the fight or the person who wants to resolve the conflict? And then lastly, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake. When because of our lives and how we live our lives, the world identifies us with Christ. If we are persecuted for his name's sake, then nothing really in the believer's life, nothing could make us happier than for the world to see Christ Jesus in me. And so this is last week's sermon, but it's the, it's the introduction for the sermon that is to follow. And so I, I felt like we needed to do just a little, a little recap there along the way. And that brings us to verse 13. Do you have your Bibles open? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to read down 13, 14, 15, and 16 is all we're going to read this morning. He says this. This is the, ne- this is the next phrase in the sermon. You are the salt of the earth. But the, if the salt has lost its taste... Well, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underneath people's feet. He says in verse 14, now using a different metaphor, a, a different illustration, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, when we come to this passage and we come to this part of the sermon, we we have to ask ourselves the question, why would Jesus use salt and light as an illustration uh, for the purpose of the lives of kingdom family? Now, this this passage right here that we're about to read, this this isn't for unbelievers. Unbelievers are not the salt of the earth, neither are they the light of the world, but this belongs to those who have chosen Christ, who have chosen salvation in Christ. And in that moment, when we give our lives to Christ, what happens in that moment? Let's think it through just for a second. In that moment, when we ask Jesus to come in our lives, our sins are forgiven. Say amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. Say amen to that. Heaven becomes your eternal home reserved for you. And we become children of God. That one was weak, I'm going to just tell you. So so in that that 
declaration by God through the shed blood of Jesus, when we become his children, Romans 8 says, well, we become the children of God. And if we're the children of God, we're the heirs of God. And if we're the heirs of God, then we're co-heirs with Jesus. And so you and I, everything changes for us. The, the old way is gone. We're new creation in Christ. And we become children of the king. So we are the children of the kingdom. And the kingdom belongs to us. And so we are given a new purpose. Our, our old purpose in, in life was to satisfy ourselves, to satiate ourselves, to gratify our lusts, to, to try to find the world's avenue at happiness. We're trying to gain money. We're trying to gain toys. We're trying to gain position. We're trying to get a better job. We're trying to get more money. We're trying to drive a nicer truck. We're trying to, trying to shoot a bigger elk. We're trying to fill in the blank. And so... We think that's going to produce happiness for us. And what we discover along the way is it doesn't. And so if a six-pack produces some kind of meager momentary pleasure for you, pretty soon it takes a 12-pack. And then pretty soon it takes 18-pack. And pretty soon you got one chance to save your life, and it's like AA. And that's what it does. It's a broad path that leads to destruction. But when we get saved and our sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit moves in and heaven's my eternal home and I'm a child of the King, then all my purposes change. They all change. My purpose is no longer to get the, the vice president's job at the office. It's, it's no longer to... to, to, to to be independently wealthy so I don't have to work. It's no longer to have a better truck. It changes. My purpose then becomes what? Jesus tells us. He says your purpose is to become salt and light. And it is the perfect illustration given by the perfect son of God that connects the happiness of our lives, the blessing and the favor of our lives and what that does and how it impacts the world you see when you really have true authentic happiness you you can't hide it can you 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 just can't have any of you ever had that experience when you were just whatever happened to you was just so good and and you went into the house or you went into the office and everybody said what are you so happy about and you didn't even know it was on your face you didn't even know it was in your countenance, and, 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 but you, you, you just couldn't help it. Many of you knew that I was courting Patrice before I told you because I couldn't hide it. And, and so, this is the process of the blessing of God. The blessing of God is, this is bad grammar but good theology, unhideable. And it just comes out and so the illustration is salt and light because salt in food does it's unhideable you salt does some things that always change their surroundings in fact let's just talk about salt for a second first what really are the purposes of salt now i i did a little work this week i did a little research and i i I discovered i could give you like a hundred purposes for salt but you don't have time for that and i don't either let's just just take the ones that i think have really easy application to a believer's life first of all salt gives flavor the 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 flavor of life the favor of god is the saltiness of believers 
here on this earth. And we have to admit that we once lived in the desperation of our souls. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then we come to the Lord and now we have the the joy of the Lord. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is this unhideable thing. And all of a sudden, the things that used to didn't have any flavor have wonderful flavor now. We, we see them from eternity's point of view. So salt gives flavor. Salt also makes you thirsty. David, the writer of the psalm, says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And sometimes... Unbelievers need a salty Christian in their life to make them recognize, I I don't have what he has. I don't have what she has. And when they look at our lives, our lives make them desire that. That makes them thirsty for something that they do not have. Uh, I don't know about you and your house. At my house, we have well water, and so uh, we've discovered that salt softens hard, hard water. You have a, do you have a water softener in your house? In Montana, a lot of us have well water, and it's kind of hard, but, but salt softens that which is hard in the mineral. And so it's true, there are many in our lives, because sin does this thing to our hearts, by the way. It's not, it's not possible to sin and continue to sin and your heart stays soft and pliable and hear God's voice. Sin hardens the heart. The Bible uses several words for that. Callous. The, the Bible uses the word it calluses our heart. The Bible uses the word stiff-necked. We become hard-hearted and stiff-necked. And that doesn't come except by our own sin. And so salt softens that. Salt melts ice. I, I hope we don't have to start doing this next week. I referred to this in the welcome. And we had such a hard winter last year, but uh, the guys on our staff who are wonderful guys, and we had some of those heavy snowfalls on a Sunday morning, they were out here plowing snow at 4 a.m. and putting salt down on the sidewalks to melt the ice. And this is an easy application, isn't it? I mean, once again, the world is just ice cold many times to the things of God and salt melts that. Many times you don't have to, do you realize this? You don't have to out debate people to Christ. You just have to love them and it melts their hearts. And when you love them like Christ loves them, then they recognize something in you. How about this one? Salt in a wound can sting. Yeah, have you ever had that happen to you one time or another? You, you had a cut on your finger you didn't even know you had, and you stuck it down in the pickle juice, and it lit you up. You know, there's, it's a, it's a, it, it lets you know that there's a problem there, and that's what the sting does. But maybe out of all of these, uh, I think the one that I might be drawn to the most is that salt can preserve what is decaying. Uh, we live in a sinful world. We live in a corrupt world. We live in a perverse world. And the Holy Spirit of God is at work in this world, but the world's going in the wrong direction. 
The world is going away from God. And the, and the end time prophecies talk about that. And yet what is it that, that the believers still have? Remember, you're the salt of the earth. He's talking to kingdom children. The, those who belong to the king. You're the salt of the earth. And we have the ability to slow down the world's decay. We have the ability to stand for right and righteousness and goodness and justice and against oppression. And that is our obligation it is one of our roles so often i meet christians who don't vote and they say well politics is just all dirty but your your obligation is to help stop decay and i don't i don't, i hardly ever vote for anybody by the way but i vote against people every election cycle and sometimes that's just our role to to be that kind of thing but lastly what i would just say to you in summation is salt is necessary for life the body that you now enjoy, that you're wearing, that bodysuit that you're wearing right now, without salt, it doesn't work. It is necessary for life. And so Jesus is talking, you're the salt of the earth. And if the earth is going to come to Christ, if they're going to come to eternal life, then salt is necessary. Just do this very quickly. We won't, we won't take as long with light. It follows the same pattern. It's just, a, it's just another way of touching our souls and our minds. What are the purposes of light in our life? Well, light gives a sense of comfort. Uh, maybe when you were a kid or you remember your children, they wanted a night light on or they wanted to keep the light in the hallway because it gives a, it gives a sense of comfort for us. Light also uh, is a, it, it's, it can be security against intruders. A guy told me on one occasion as I was thinking about security at my house, he said the very best security is light. And if light comes on and pops on and motion sensors and people are there, then they, they run from that. And so light can create security for us against intruders. Light allows one to see. And uh, you and I get so accustomed to being able to walk in a room and hit the switch and lights come on. But just think about many folks in Montana a hundred years ago. It was a courtesy lamp and a candle. And if they wanted to see in a log cabin where they were homesteading after dark and in the winter, that was after 430 they had to, had to get a fire. They had to get a, a candle lit. They had to light a lamp. It allows us to see. Light is used for healing now. You know, 100 years ago, no one would have ever really said this, except maybe go, go sit in the sun if you had a vitamin D deficiency. But now we have medical laser light technology. And light is used for healing. And we have to admit, spiritually speaking, that the light of God heals our lives. It heals our souls. We were made to live in the light of God. You know, in heaven there'll be no sun. Jesus himself will light heaven. And he will be the full healing of our souls. And light, just like salt, it just all ends in the same place. Whenever you do the study of it, light is necessary for life. You just have to have it. And when we think of photosynthesis, we understand it completely. It takes light for all of that to work and for all of it to happen. Well, these are two perfect illustrations that the master teacher Jesus is using. Remember, here's how he started. He started with, okay, you want to be happy? Happiness is connected to the blessing of God. You, you can't achieve it without God's blessing and its favor. And that happiness then, for true believers, for authentic children of God, it, it bubbles 
out. It overflows. This is what David the psalmist is talking about when he says, my cup overflows. It, it runneth over in the King James Version. It, it, you can't help it. As a matter of fact, let, let me just tell you this. Everybody's cup runneth over. The question is, what does it runneth over with? It either runs over with love and blessing and joy and happiness, or it runs over with bitterness and anger and fear and worry and guilt. But your cup runneth over. So the believer, forgiven of our sins, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Say amen. The believer doesn't have the condemnation anymore. There's no guilt to run over. It's, it's been nailed to the cross. What's, it's been replaced with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God indwelling me means that Jesus, you saying this this morning, Jesus paid it all. We, he paid it. He didn't pay it like 99% of it. He paid it all. All to him I owe. I live for him. And it just bubbles out of my life. It just bubbles out of your life. And that, that blessing of God, the favor of God, which is on our lives as, as sons and daughters of the king, it flows into the world like salt and light. And that's the effect that our lives have on the world. But we have to ask the question, what happens when salt isn't salty? And light is hidden. Jesus speaks to it here. Now, the interesting thing in my study this week is, it's, it's not possible for salt to not be salty. Did you know that? It's impossible for salt to not be salty because it's salt. It can't not be salty. It is inherent in what it is. It, the sodium, it, it's salty. So what is Jesus talking about well in ancient times when salt was dug out of the ground or when it was tried to, to taken from the sea it it came with it came with impurities it wasn't pure salt and so at the bottom of the salt bucket all that that's where all the impurities would end up and pretty soon you'd realize oh that's i'm just I, i'm just i'm just salting dirt on my food there's no salt in it and so what would you do with that you throw it out. It's, it's not possible for light to, to not light. Do you, do you understand that? Does that make sense to you? And In fact, there's not really, in the world, there's not really light and darkness. Do you know what darkness is? It's the absence of light. So, so light can't, it cannot not be illuminating. It has to be. It's the nature of light. And so you can have a flashlight but you can't have a flash dark. There's no such thing. It doesn't work. So what, what Jesus is actually saying here is the true believer is salty. The true believer really is salty. In ancient times, salt was such a commodity that often uh, the Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Did you know that? Uh, it was such a good commodity, so they weren't always paid in gold or silver, so they, so they were often paid in salt. And the phrase that we have to this day was, a soldier that wasn't worth much wasn't worth his... Uh-huh. I wonder what would happen if Jesus came today and, and set up on Main Street and we all went by and did evaluations. wonder how many of us aren't worth our Salt but it's there. 
If you belong to Jesus, it's there because salt can't help but be salty. One of the myths that Satan uses in our lives to try to, uh, to, try to get us to hide our lamp under a bushel. Do you remember that from when you were a kid? Hide it under a bushel. Oh, no, I'm going to let it shine. You remember that? That's old, too. You guys know all those other old hymns. You know that one, right? Some of you are so old, you remember when Do Lord was contemporary Christian music. <laughs> so, so when we think then uh, uh, about our lives, why is it then that some of us aren't seasoning the world in which we live with the salt? Why is it that we've hidden our light under the bushel and many of us have fallen for the the lies of Satan who has told us, and this is how I hear it when people share it to me, well, religion is a personal and a private matter, pastor. Now, I've discovered two things about that. Uh, number one, whenever you decide that your relationship with God is a private matter, you will lose your happiness. Because the happiness was never meant to be kept private. The idea that, uh, this, is the, this is always a perversion in Christendom. The idea that we're going to back up and move into a monastery so the world won't get us is backwards. We are to attack the world because the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. We're to bring salt and light into the world. So here's my answer to that, and I want you to hear it. Of course your relationship with uh, Christ Jesus is a deeply personal matter. It's, it's personal because I can't be saved for you and you can't be saved for me. It is an individual personal matter. Only you can give your life to Christ. But it was never meant to be private. Always meant to be personal. Never meant to be private. What are, what are we meant to be? Salt and light. We were always meant to be salt and light. And so whenever I step back from the purpose that, that God has called me to, when I step back from God's purpose, I step back from God's blessing. I step back from God's happiness. I step back from the joy of the Lord, and it ceases to exist in my life. So this, this passage here, verses 13 through 16, is the purpose statement of this. You have, you have the introduction. Hey, you want to be happy? Here's what it looks like. It's a great introduction. It catches our attention. But now we come to the thesis statement of the, of the sermon. We come to the purpose statement. What is the ultimate purpose for my life? What are the ultimate purposes for our lives as believers, as the children of God? Well, that others would see God in us and glorify him, that they would see Jesus in me and they would glorify God. That is your purpose. Now, the avenue for that might be carpentry. The avenue for that might be quilting. The avenue for that might be golf. The avenue for that might be your job. The avenue for that might become in the title grandma or grandpa. But the purpose is that those people in your life would see Jesus. And it's because you can't help but have Jesus flow out of your life. He just oozes out of your pores and he, and he touches life like salt and light. And that's what he does. And to try to hide that under a bushel, to try to keep it private, is to work against the very thing that God is doing in the world. 
And that's our purpose statement. And here we, here we have this sermon in which he just speaks to us so plainly. And honestly, could an illustration be any easier? Salt and light. I think I, I, think I could teach this in third grade Sunday school class this morning. It's right here on the bottom shelf so that we can all get it, so that we can all understand it, and we can live for that purpose. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Is it possible that uh, you've been living for another purpose? Is it possible that along the way, as we talked about last week, you kind of you got hooked by the world or you just started... The world just speaks so many voices uh, into our existence. And then we start thinking, yeah, I do need more money. And I, I do need a different house. And I do need a this. And I want a better job. Or I want, that, I want that increase on my job. I want this position. And I want this different house. And all of a sudden, we just start living like we used to before we came to Christ. And we, we miss our purpose. And so God's done this incredible thing where he who created your very soul and created it to long for happiness, he gives you his happiness. It comes with his blessing and his favor. It comes with a relationship with God and knowing that your sins are forgiven. But then he gives us purpose as well. And there's some people in your life. You work with them. They're in your family. They're your neighbors. They're your loved ones and friends. He gives you some people in your life. And your job is to be salt and light. You don't have to do the hard work. God always does the hard work. God's always, the, His Holy Spirit always does the, the calling, the wooing, the saving. He's just saying, let my blessing, let my happiness ooze out of your pores. Don't hold it in any longer. Don't put the lampstand under a bushel, but let it shine. That's the purpose that I've left you here on earth for. If you're here on earth, God has a purpose for you. When your purpose is done, he'll call you home. But until then, there's a life for you to touch. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of you this morning would say, uh, Paul, that's, that's who I want to be. That's what I want to be in my life. I, I want to have that effect, that salt and light effect on my friends and my loved ones, my neighbors. And you just raise your hand and say, that's what I want. That's what I want. All over the room, most of us, God bless you. Father, you've seen our hands. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. We pray for these here that are still on their journey. They're, they're thinking about giving their lives to Christ. We pray that today would be the day. Today would be the day of salvation. We, we pray for ourselves, though, those of us who have already given our lives to the Lord. Father, we pray that we would actually begin to realize, oh, this is why I'm here. This is why you've left me on earth. It's my job to be salty. It's my job to illuminate. And so, Father, we pray that we would be these people, that your blessing, your happiness would just pour out of our every, every cell, every pore of our skin, and that we just couldn't hide it because of what you've done for us. Let that joy, let that joy of the Lord be our strength. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. By way of benediction, uh, I have chosen a passage out of John chapter 3. Many of you would be able to quote John 3.16, but maybe you have forgotten that right after that, this is what Jesus says, beginning in verse 19. He says, and this is the judgment that has come into the world, light. 
And the people have loved darkness rather than light because their works are evil. Everyone who does wickedness hates the light and he doesn't come to the light because he doesn't want his works to be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works are carried out in God. This is you. This is me. When we live our lives as, as the Holy Spirit, just the light comes out of us, we live in a dark world, and so light's easily seen. A city that's set on a hill on a dark night can be seen for hundreds of miles. And so your life, with the light of God in it, will truly be seen by those around you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.